Rhonda, it's that time of year again. Can you guess what I'm so excited about? I don't know about you, but I'm excited about pumpkin spice lattes at Starbucks. Mm, no. No? No, no, no. Uh, let me think. You are up. Yeah, yeah. How about leaf peeping on the Blue Ridge Parkway? No, not that either. Okay. What about, oh, supply chain. How about ordering all your Christmas gifts online to avoid all those shipping delays? Well, that is a good idea. I've been hearing about it on the news, but sadly, no. Okay, okay, I'm done. I'm done with your silly guessing game. What are you so excited about, David? It's the launch of the third year of our online lectionary group, of course. Yes, 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 of course it is. I'm excited about that, too. In less than a month, we'll be gathering around the lectionary texts every Tuesday morning via Zoom with our friends. That's right. We'll all engage in sacred readings of the texts, offer our theological reflections, and join in conversations about potential preaching angles. Can you believe this is our third year facilitating this group together? And I love the relationships that have developed as we've moved through the lectionary year together. Yeah, me too. And registration's now open. So if there are any interested preachers who are listening in today, where can they go to find out more? They can go to pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. Uh, <clears throat> hover over the four leaders at the top right-hand corner and then click on lectionary group. Hey, Rhonda, I'm going to go straight to the rep website and get myself registered. Uh, right after I get my pumpkin spice latte and maybe cruise the Blue Ridge Parkway a while and then order all my Christmas gifts online. <laughs> well, David, you might want to get that registration done first. Um, listen, I can't wait to get another lectionary year started. Me too. Welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast. I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Leadership Associate and the founding pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I'm Rhonda Blevins, Pinnacle Associate and pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And we are moving right along in Season 3 of Pastor Life Podcast with Courageous Conversations. All those conversations that you have never wanted to have, but maybe you should with the people in your congregation. Today's a pretty yeah. uh, tough one, right? Well, yeah, today we're talking about climate change, eco-justice, ecology, um, and it's, you know, it's timely for sure. It may not be as challenging to have this conversation as maybe the last topic of capitalism, but, you know, something we need to be thinking about as pastors and leaders. Absolutely. And it seems like we've got a good interview for today as well, right? That's right. Reverend Dr. Leah Shade. Well, here we go. Let's talk about climate change and ecology and our faith. Well, Rhonda, we are diving into another courageous conversation this week about climate change, which is just one of those hot button topics, another phrase that you may or may not want to say out loud in a sermon, and one of those things that tends to kind of divide people out there in the world. And so the question might be, can we as Christians have some sort of productive conversation about this? I know this was your suggestion that we include climate change. And I wonder why that was. What got you thinking about climate change as an important topic for us to cover this season? 
perhaps one of the reasons is because the church that I serve sits two blocks off the Gulf of Mexico. And so we're kind of winding down the six months of hurricane season. People around me breathing a collective sigh of relief that we got through another hurricane season without a major catastrophe or, or storm that came through. Um, and so at, at my particular church, it's it's on the back of our minds, even though there there are still people in my pews who would deny global warming or, or at least that humans have any involvement in climate change or global warming. So that's probably why I wanted to talk about it. What about you? What's your um, interest in this topic? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have always approached climate change as this calling for us as Christians in, in terms of something that we are are being faithful not only to, to sort of the God of all creation, but also being faithful to our kids and our grandkids and hopefully leaving a world that's at least inhabitable for them. And uh, so I think about my own kids maybe even more than kind of from a congregation level in terms of, of what are we doing to be faithful to future generations. There's a, a book, I think it's Robert Parham, who wrote a book called Loving Our Neighbors Across Time. And it's about this, this idea of how do we treat creation in a way that loves our neighbors in the future? you know, the neighbors of, of future generations. And I think that's just a really interesting way to think about climate and creation and what our mandate is. And it's those younger generations that are really making waves, <laughs> to speak of Gulf of Mexico language. They're <laughs> right. really the ones leading the charge because it's going to affect them more than perhaps me. Uh, you're a little younger, more than perhaps you but especially our kids and our grandkids. Um, they're, you know, for a lot of younger people, younger adults, that's number one issue on who they vote for is whether that candidate cares about the creation and doing something to stop global warming or, or at least um, mitigate it. Well, and it seems like I, I'm certainly not an expert on any of this, so I'm looking forward to the interview. I feel like we're almost, from the perspective of my generation, you know, it's almost past time that that we're going to be super helpful. And so I hate the idea that we're really relying on the next generation and probably relying on some some major technological advances and and maybe some major social shifts that just have not happened in mine and your generation. Yeah, well Leah Shade, professor of preaching and something else at Lexington Theological Seminary. Yeah. She is a, an expert on this. Um, she is the Eco Preacher is her blog. And she has done a lot of research on this. She grounds her work in theology and, you know, biblical studies. So I, you'll be really interested to hear how she does that. But she also, you know, at the end of the interview, you'll hear her talk about some some ways that she's seen churches really do some good work around ecology and climate change. So so it's, it's not all gloom and doom. There are some hopeful things happening out there. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say and maybe learning something that I can take back to my congregation. Today on the pod, we have the eco-preacher. The Reverend Dr. Leah D. Shade is the Associate Professor of Preaching and Worship at Lexington Theological Seminary in Kentucky. 
an ordained Lutheran minister since 2000, Leah has written five books, including three focusing on environment and faith. She has served as an anti-fracking and climate activist, a community organizer, and an advocate for environmental justice issues, and is the eco-preacher blogger for Pathios.com. She has recently launched a partnership with the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development to create a monthly resource. It's called Eco-Preacher123. And it's for busy pastors who want to address environmental issues in their sermons. So welcome to the pod, Dr. Shade. Thank you so much, Rhonda. It's great to be with you. Well, what would you add to my introduction? Anything else you want to tell the listeners? Oh, sure. I, um, in addition to being a a Lutheran pastor, I'm also a musician. Uh, Just a fun fact, I am a harpist and um, and have a CD. So I have a, a lot of varied interests. But environment and preaching and social issues is really my main passion. Well, that's a, that's a unique instrument. Aren't a lot of harpists around? And you have a unique niche within the ministry as well. So I'm interested to dive in a little bit more. So kind of thinking about that niche, uh, you know, one of your many areas of expertise is, is ecological theology. What about that at first kind of captivated your interest? My interest in ecological theology started when I was really young, before I even knew what to call it. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I traipsed through the woods and the creeks and the rivers of Pennsylvania all growing up, and uh, my dad cultivated a love for, for nature in me from a very young age. I felt as much as I was worshiping God in church... I I would feel that also when I would be in the cathedrals of the forest. I was just overwhelmed by the the beauty and the grandeur of the the woods of Pennsylvania. And at at the same time, I also saw a lot of environmental devastation, Mm. um, clear-cutting of forests, uh, ripping out of, of places where um, where I used, where I had spent a lot of time. And, and I felt powerless as a, as a young girl to do anything about it. And then as I went to college and then eventually to seminary, I started to more formally connect my interest in the church, religion, and theology with my love for God's creation. And so that very naturally led me to want to uh, create an eco-ministry in the first church I served in Reformation Lutheran Church in Media, Pennsylvania. And, and then eventually do my Ph.D. program um, at the Lutheran Seminary at Philadelphia, where I created a Lutheran eco-feminist theology for homiletical theory and praxis. Wow. There, there's some good uh, dissertation words for you right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I have your book. Um, I think it was published in 2015. Uh, Creation, Crisis, Preaching, Ecology, Theology, and the Pulpit. And that was my first introduction to ecofeminism. Maybe for starters, why don't you define that? What is that? Yeah. Ecofeminists believe that there is a direct connection between how we treat nature and how we treat women. Hmm. So in the same way that we often disregard women's bodies, that we abuse them, that we use them, Um, and that they often bear the brunt of environmental issues. Um, 
we can't address ecological issues until we are also looking at justice issues for women. In the same vein, we can't talk about women's issues without also thinking about the ways in which their bodies, their families, their communities are impacted by practices such as fracking and air pollution and access, uh, lack of access to clean water and uh, um, toxins going into the community that exacerbate cancers. So all of that is, is connected. So we, we address both women's issues and environmental issues at the same time. Well, that's an intersectionality that um, I really hadn't considered until, until that. Well, in the book, the introduction is titled, Why Creation Needs Good Preaching and Good Preaching Needs Creation. Would you maybe summarize this chapter or at least make the case to the pastors listening why we might consider kind of you know, stepping up our game in terms of leading our churches in the care of creation? Absolutely. Our congregations listen to pastors more than we might think. And there have been studies that show that people who go to churches where pastors are addressing environmental issues, such as climate change, on a regular basis, are more likely to believe that it exists and believe that we must do something about it, compared with parishioners that go to churches where it's never talked about. It's like um, it's like six in ten uh, people who go to churches where this is a, a topic of con- conversation will want to be involved with this kind of thinking, compared to only about four in ten who have don't just don't hear it from the pulpit. Wow! So it makes a difference when clergy focus a biblical and theological lens on environmental issues and help people understand that when we care for God's creation, as the Bible is very clear, we have, that's, that's part of our role is to, to till and to keep, right? From, from Genesis 2.15, that's part of our role. That's part of our vocation as people of God. And when we do things that go against what God has intended for us, then it, it, it results in enormous suffering for individuals, for communities, and for earth itself. So um, I would like to see pastors address environmental issues on a regular basis as a matter of faith. I have a friend, a clergy friend, who was telling me that she just kind of happened to preach um, a a sermon about uh, environmental issues. And she didn't think much about it. You know, she didn't get a lot of feedback. But then months later, one of her parishioners, who is a builder, a contractor, uh, builds homes, he approached her and said that he had completely changed his business practice in building because of that one sermon. And she was blown away. I wonder, I bet you have some anecdotes like that um, from your work and your, your own ministry as a pastor back in the day. Wow, I'm so heartened to hear that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it's it's a beautiful illustration of we plant the seeds and we have no idea how they may sprout. Right. But if we never plant them, then they don't have the opportunity to grow. I'll share a similar example. I had preached a sermon um, in a I was a guest preacher at a church in uh, in, in Pennsylvania uh, on the outskirts of Philadelphia, and I um, talked about. A, a nature preserve, a, a land trust 
nearby this this church that I had been visiting and taking my children and saying that when we protect these natural lands, this is helping to reverse Eden's curse that um, you know we are respecting the land that God created and fashioned and we are allowing this this place to nurture the lives and the communities of plants and animals that that God has been nurturing for millions and millions of years. So our doing this, our supporting natural lands is again, an act of faith. So I get done the sermon and I'm in the line and, you know, people are going through and they're shaking your hand. Nice sermon, nice sermon. And one person says to me, you know, I, my family and I, have um, have inherited a huge piece of land from our parents who no longer want to run the farm anymore. And we've been debating on what to do with, with this because none of us wants to farm it. He said, your sermon has made me think about what if we put this into a, a nature preserve oh, and wow. really help to protect it for future generations. Now, I was just a guest preacher. I don't know if he ever wow. followed up on that. Yeah, but again, right. just planting that seed um, could lead to something that has enormous benefit for communities and creation. Wow, that's that's awesome. Well, I know you've done some research on clergy and um, how clergy tackle social issues in their preaching. Would you say a little bit about that? Yes, I've been very interested in how clergy are talking about social issues, not just the environment, but all kinds of social issues. So in 2017, uh, I launched a survey and got about a um, little over a thousand responses and found out how preachers are navigating the what I call the red-blue divide and how, you know, what kind of pushback they get when they preach about certain issues, what are contemporary topics that they have talked about, what are they avoiding. And I gave a list of many topics and asked, what have you mentioned in a sermon in the last 12 months? And I included a number of environmental issues such as climate change, pollution, species extinction. And I was dismayed to find out that these issues ranked in the the very bottom of priorities for preachers to address. So I was really disheartened by that because I've been involved in in this work of environmental uh, religious environmental activism for, gosh, more than a decade now. And so it was, it was disheartening for me to see this. But here's the good news. I did the second wave of this survey just this year following the, the two, 2020 election. And again, gave pastors the list, a list of, uh, of topics. And um, we had more than double the amount of responses this time, which was great. And here's here's the great thing. Environmental issues ranked in the top 10 of those topics that preachers said that they had addressed in their sermons in the last year. Wow. That's a huge shift. And it's not just progressive pastors. We even saw a bump in conservative pastors in conservative congregations. It wasn't a big bump, but it was statistically significant seeing that it went up by several percentage points saying that, yes, I've addressed this in my preaching. So to me, that is good news. And it speaks to the reality that, you know, I think parishioners are seeing this climate change affecting 
their lives, their communities, their families, and they want to know how to think about this morally and theologically and biblically. So I'm glad to see pastors stepping up. Yeah, that's great. That's, I mean, that's just across, um, what, four years, five years? Just four years. Four years. Wow. Well, thinking about that, um, and speaking as a pastor, perhaps, um, I don't represent all pastors, but maybe a few with this question. Um, You know, we have a lot of crises to juggle. And, you know, we've got the pandemic, we have waning attendance and budget issues, some of us of course, ongoing pastoral concerns. There's Christian nationalism, administrative challenges. And so let's say there might be a pastor out there. I don't happen to know one at all, but this pastor cares about the climate crisis, but it just seems so big and so overwhelming. Is there much that a local parish pastor can do to make a real difference? Absolutely. One of the things that I introduce in both the book Creation Crisis Preaching and then uh, amplify that in another book that I wrote called Preaching in the Purple Zone, Ministry in the Red-Blue Divide, is a a schematic of thinking about our preaching about social issues using the metaphor of a tree. And I say all of our preaching about social issues must be rooted in biblical and theological principles. Mm -hmm. So we always have to, we we can't just be pushing an agenda, a political Mm. agenda. We have to show that, look, the Bible talks about creation all over the place. And, you know, the, the, the Psalms are very clear that the trees worship God, that nature itself worships God. And so one of the things that you can say to a congregation where maybe this is all new to them is, where do you experience the presence of God in nature? Just to m- make that initial connection for people so that there is what I would call, so this is a, another path, uh, there would be flowering, right? Just a raising of awareness of, yeah, I, I, you know, I experience it when I'm on the beach or I experience it when I'm in the mountains and I'm hunting, you know, just to make that initial introduction. And then another path is what I call pollinating, where we encourage people to engage in dialogue about this. So uh, with, with climate change, there's an issue guide developed by the National Issues Forum Institute called Climate Choices. And I am involved with the, the Kettering Foundation, which is really interested in helping people talk about difficult issues using a method of civil discourse called deliberative dialogue. Hmm. And so you might invite your congregation to have a dialogue about how can our church respond to the climate crisis in a way that is aligning with our values and our different experiences, but also recognizing that we have different perspectives on this. So having conversations, so that's pollinating. And then a a fourth path is what I would call leafing. So in in a tree, the, the tree converts the energy of the sun through the leaves. This is where the, the energy is converted into something s- substantial and tangible. So a sermon might say, here's how we might respond in faith, given our growing awareness, giving our conversation. You know, maybe we can join a group that's going to clean up the local waterway. Or maybe we want to bring in a speaker to help us understand what's happening in our community with climate change. Not that we're dictating like we must do this, but 
offering up opportunities to put our faith into action. Yeah. And then the, the final path is called fruiting. So this is long-term transformational change to say, we're going to try to change the culture of our church so that we don't just avoid these difficult issues, but really engage them in faith, knowing that God is with us and among us and leading in this in this conversation. I love that. I, I think a metaphor is always helpful in charting the course, finding our way, that kind of thing. In your book, you you include several sermons, I suppose, that you've preached, and you, you've mentioned grounding this work in theology and in the Bible. What may be your favorite biblical passage to uh, to exegete and to throw out there to people who may be new at preaching climate change? Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a great question. There's so many. <laughs> um, I, I think it's really important for any preacher who's starting out talking about this with their congregations to begin with Genesis. We have to help people understand that there are some competing stories in Genesis about human beings' relationship with God's creation. And it also has to do with how we interpret those stories in creation. So when people read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where we're told that humanity is given dominion over all of the, the plants and the animals, and we're told to be fruitful and multiply, that has been interpreted to mean that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, and not dominion, but domination. And we have to understand this story was written to a people who were in exile, who were themselves being dominated, to say that God is actually entrusting the people of Israel with, with the care and the stewarding of, of what God has created. So it's not about domination. It's about being entrusted with properly caring for God's creation. And then you put that up against, I mentioned this earlier, Genesis 2.15. Now this is from a different biblical author, but in this one, Adam's or Adam's vocation is to till and to keep, is to protect and preserve and to nurture life in the garden. So when we put these two side by side, we can say, okay, so how do we take these two biblical principles and, and see what are we doing with the water? What are we doing with chemicals? What are we doing with our industry? What are we doing with fossil fuel emissions? Is this really in keeping with biblical principles? Last week's episode on Pastor Life podcast was about capitalism. It seems to me that capitalism and then poor creation care seem to go hand in hand. Can pastors lead their congregations toward greater stewardship of creation without tackling capitalism and economic systems that exploit the earth? That's a great question. I mentioned earlier that I've been doing research with pastors on their attitudes about uh, preaching ministry and social issues. Well, I've also been doing with parishioners. And I have been doing grant work where we've been training pastors and lay leaders on a process that I developed called the Sermon Dialogue Sermon Method. And we did surveys of 10 congregations before their pastors and lay leaders took part in this, and then after. Oh. And one of the questions we asked was, we gave them a list of terms and asked, is this term too political to hear in the sermon? 
were okay to hear in the sermon. And then we looked at how does this, you know, how do they rank? So capitalism was the number one issue that people said was too political to hear in a sermon. No kidding. Yeah. Now this was 10 disciples of Christ congregations in uh, uh, Kentucky, Ohio, (laughs) and West Virginia. And climate change was in the top 10. But now here's the interesting thing. We also gave the, we, we gave them the term God's creation. That term was the least controversial term <laughs> out of the whole list. Okay. So it raises a really interesting question in terms of how preachers address this in their congregations. Do we need to code switch, so to speak? Uh-huh. Do we need to talk about caring for God's creation and, you know, equality and fairness and avoid words like capitalism and climate change so that we can make it more palatable to our congregations? Or, as some people will say, are we just pandering and not really exercising our prophetic voice by not naming these systemic sins in our preaching. There is ongoing debate about that. I think it really depends on the context where you are. I think it depends on the kind of what privilege and what, you know, whether you're a male or female preacher, a white preacher or preacher of color, when you're in a rural or urban congregation, all of this impacts how much liberty a, a pastor can take when using certain rhetorical terms. I like to think of it like giving a child medicine, you know why they put sugar in the, the you know, <laughs> liquid medicine, sugar. right? Helps the medicine go um, down. <laughs> and so that code switching um, is something that maybe comes with time and experience, but I, I know that I employ that tactic quite a lot in my congregation. Well, what, speaking of kind of um, tactics, what strategies or routines, uh, maybe even a rule of life might you recommend to help pastors include a regular diet of eco-minded sermons in their preaching repertoire? That's a great question. I recommend, first of all, that, that people do regular Bible study using a green lens. And there's actually, there's something called the green letter Bible. People have heard of the red letter Bible where all the words of Jesus are in red. Well, the, the, the green Bible has everything having to do with creation in green print. Hmm. It is really cool. You, you can Google it. You can find it. So just reading through scripture and seeing, oh my gosh, there is so much here. So just reading that on a regular basis. Um, I also recommend... Um, and I'll do a little self-promotion here. Uh, there's a book that I co-edited with my colleague, Margaret Bullitt Jonas, called Rooted and Rising, Voices of Courage in a Time of Climate Crisis. And this is 21 essays by religious environmental activists who talk about how they are sustaining themselves spiritually in what I call the dark night of the green soul. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, religious environmental activists have been doing this for decades. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. So how do you sustain yourself for the long haul? So we have chapters in there that are 
so poignant um, and representing all kinds of different perspectives. We have Muslim, Jewish, Christian. We have um, uh, clergy of color. We have uh, scientists. We have uh, um, uh, Native American. And, and they are all sharing their wisdom that I think has been really helpful for people. And in the book, we also have spiritual practices that people can do to connect them with God's creation mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So um, this book is... Um, it's been a pretty popular seller and and we've heard that it's been really helpful for clergy who are looking for sermon illustrations and also just grounding themselves in these um, biblical theological spiritual practices. Yeah. Thank you for that. And we'll, we'll put the different resources that you've mentioned in our session notes on our website. Uh, I'll mention that at the end here. What, Examples can you share of churches that are really making a difference in relation to the ecology or uh, climate change? Are you aware of churches really doing something outstanding in that area? Oh, absolutely. There are so many. Uh, um, There are so many, I can't even mention them all. One resource that I would really recommend for for your listeners to check out is a, a, a group called Eco America and their subdivision called Blessed Tomorrow. And they equip congregations with talking points and kits and um, research to help make the case that caring for the environment is, is part of our faith. And they're lifting up stories all the time of congregations that are putting solar on their church roofs, mm-hmm. that are converting some of their church property into uh, habitat for, say, monarch butterflies um, that are regularly engaging in advocacy against environmental racism, um, trying to push for policies that will protect the water and the land and the air for vulnerable communities. Churches that are, uh, um, of course, doing recycling and and p- partnering across inter- uh, interfaith and interdenominational lines in order to do this work together. We can do so much more together than we do alone. So uh, Blessed Tomorrow is great. And I will also tell you, almost every denomination in the main line has an ecological arm. Yeah. And you can just go to your your denomination's website and, and, and do a search on that. Uh, I'm a Lutheran, so Lutherans Restoring Creation has lots of stories of churches that are doing this work. Uh, Disciples of Christ, Green Chalice has lots of stories. So don't try to do this on your own. There's already great work being done that you can plug into and get support and ideas and and contribute and work together. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm inspired. So we're coming off, uh, we're recording this in mid-November, and we're coming off a recent um, international gathering called COP26. There's also been a recent report from the Interfaith Panel on Climate Change. What are some implications of these two kind of major initiatives? One of the things that we need to keep in mind is that climate change is not something that's happening in the future. It's happening right now, and it's happening much faster than even scientists thought that it would. So the impacts that we're seeing due to wildfires and sea level rises and um, plastics pollution, I mean, 
it's this is no longer I'm I'm only going to be concerned if it's in my backyard. It's in everybody's backyard now. And even if we do even if we stopped burning fossil fuels tomorrow, there's so much carbon in the air and so much methane that we're going to be dealing with the effects of climate change and global warming for generations. Now, this can feel overwhelming to people. It may feel like, well, then what's the point of doing anything if it's not going to make an impact? But here's the thing. We have a very small window of time to to pull ourselves back from the edge of the cliff and to do everything we can to try to stop and keep the fossil fuels in the ground, convert to clean energy, and in the meantime, lift up the workers who will be displaced by the fossil fuel industries that are going by the by, like the coal industry. I visited coal regions, and former coal miners have said to me, I know my job's not coming back. I just know it. Even if even if coal were still something that we could use, the the the, the mechanisms that have been put in place, they have replaced workers. So they need where they used to need hundreds and thousands of men, they only need like two or three to run machines. He hmm. said, those jobs aren't coming back. Yeah. So we need to help transition communities to clean to the clean energy economy. And we need to support those communities who are hardest hit, especially communities of color, coastal regions, indigenous communities that do not have the resources when the hurricanes come and the floodings come and the wildfires come. Yeah, thank you for that. My church um, is just a couple of blocks off the Gulf of Mexico. And so wow. uh, we're nearing the end of hurricane season. And we're, you know, I can kind of feel in the air people breathing a collective sigh of relief mm. that we were spared this hurricane season. But yes. um, it's it's real. I, I was doing some work with a church um, that was affected greatly by Hurricane Michael, mm. um, you know, what, a couple, couple, three years ago now. Um, and that community still has not bounced back. It just hasn't. And it's going to take, who knows, you know, years, decades. Well, with all of that, what word of either advice or encouragement do you have for the pastors listening today? One of the things that I would encourage pastors to do is to um, reach out to people who are interested in this so that you can connect and and. Uh, get some solidarity and support. One of the beautiful things that has come out of this work for me personally is that I've made some really good friends and, and have wonderful colleagues in this. It's a shame that it had to be because of this terrible reason, Yeah. but I've re- been able to connect with people who are across interfaith lines and in different denominations and, and there is, even in the midst of the, the deep despair about what we have lost in terms of species extinction and, and habitat destruction, we are also forming community in ways that we have not before. And so that is very encouraging to me. I, I talk in, in my chapter of the book, Rooted and Rising, about uh, creating the interfaith arc that, that helps us to, uh, to build justice and to, to restore these, these areas that have been so devastated. You're right. It's going to take a long time. But this is good work. This is good work that we need to do. And 
we need to get in good trouble (laughs) (laughs) to prevent further harm from being done. We're morally and ethically, biblically and theologically obligated. Uh, Many of us by our own ordination vows, you know, I vowed to resist the forces of evil Ah. and, and the things that are being done to our environment and to our communities are a a version of systemic evil. And Mm -hmm. we are called to fight against that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I feel like I could ask you uh, questions for days, and you would just have so many brilliant answers. Um, I failed to ask you about your most recent resource. It's called Eco Preacher One Two Three. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, I have been connecting with uh, Rabbi Yonatan Narrell, who is the the co-founder, the founder, and the director of an organization called the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development. And he reached out to me. He had seen my work. And we came up with the idea to develop a resource for pastors to be able to very quickly look at this and say, okay, here's my, here's the text in the lectionary, or here's the text for, we have one for Thanksgiving. Um, and how can I, uh, what are, what is the eco exegesis? What is the, how can I read this text through a green lens? Uh, we're drawing a lot on a, a book called Eco Bible, which is a Jewish commentary on the, the texts of Genesis and Exodus, and then uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and uh, uh, are, are coming, uh, Leviticus are coming out. And to be able to say, here's how we can interpret this scripture through a green lens, drawing on the ancient wisdom of the text and the, the Midrash and the rabbis. And what is one eco-idea that I might be able to incorporate in my sermon what are two questions that I can ask to help deepen the conversation? And what are three actions that I might consider that could resonate in my congregation? So one eco idea, two question, eco, two eco questions, three eco actions, eco preacher, one, two, three. I love it. And that's free, right? It is free. Yes, we are Yay. putting out, we're putting this out once a month. Uh, so not overwhelming people, but you can go to the website and uh, sign up to receive each of these. Um, you can also see them on my own website, uh, uh, Eco Preacher at Pathios, and I put them there as well. So we we want to be able to equip pastors to preach about this on a regular basis and help them integrate creation care into their preaching and ministries. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shade. Thank you for helping us think deeply about our role as pastors and leaders, uh, leading our congregations forward uh, related to climate change. If you want more information about the Eco Preacher, you can go to her Pathios blog page at Pathios. Is it Pathios.com slash? Pathios.com slash blogs slash eco preacher slash eco preacher yeah yeah but if you just type in eco preacher you'll get you'll get where you need to go okay wonderful (laughs) and if you're interested in looking at our session notes you can find that on pinlead.com that's p-i-n-n-l-e-a-d.com slash pastor life and you'll be able to find the session notes there thanks again dr shade for being on the pod today thank you Rhonda. blessings on your ministry 